as well. That's what we're going to do. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 14. John, chapter number 14, and uh, a couple of verses that I know you're very familiar with. John 14, verse 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Keep in mind, these words were directed to the apostles while they were in the upper room with Jesus. These are men that had forsaken absolutely everything in order to follow the Lord, and now it is a point in their life to where it seems that all is lost, including the Lord. He is about to be taken from them. They feel forsaken. They feel alone. They are fearful. They have no idea what to do. He had warned them already that they would be hated, persecuted, and even put to death for His sake. And yet when we come to our text verse here, we find him telling them to be not troubled. And he explains why. And it's important that we understand this because, you know, most of us, we think about those words, be not troubled, and it just seems absolutely impossible. How can it be? Whenever we live in a world that is so vile, so wicked, so dangerous, so difficult, how can we not be troubled? Well, he's going to give you the answer to that. He says that we're not to be troubled, but notice he says, I go to prepare a place for you. A place for you. And it's clear from what he goes on to say in this chapter that he wants them to live in the light of that promise. Think with me. Remembering this was the key to their survival. And if you notice in verse number 26, he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to go, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. And He'll be the Comforter. And it says that He will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And the very next verse, he tells them that this is the means whereby peace would be provided for them. He said, I'm going to give you my peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives, but he said, I'm going to give you my peace. And that peace is produced by us keeping our focus on the promise To do that, we have to remember what he said. Have you ever thought about what a wonderful gift from God memory is? Wouldn't it be horrible not to be able to remember anything? Memories are wonderful, but listen, they can be painful or they can be precious. There are many people that are tormented by the memories of their past. 
their heart break broken either because of what they did or because of what was done unto them. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, we'd, be, we'd all be better off if we couldn't even remember those bad, difficult, painful things in the past. But that's where you're wrong because even painful memories can become profitable. They become beneficial because they aid us in our spiritual growth. They warn us about the mistakes that we have made. So painful memories can be profitable, but I want us this morning to think about those pleasurable memories. I've often made the statement Memorial Day just might be the most beneficial of all of the holidays. I believe that, and I say that because while a lot of the holidays are fun, I can't think of any that are more helpful than Memorial Day because this helps us to understand how blessed we are and how we ought to live. When we think about the price that was paid for our freedom, and we think about the opportunity that we have as we do that, we think about life, we think about death, we think about eternity, and anything that causes us to do that is a good thing. You know, we get lost in the excitement of Christmas and Thanksgiving and uh, even Easter as it's focused on the resurrection of Christ, but, and it tells about His work and that is important, but this brings us face to face with the fact that we're going to die. And there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Forgetfulness, you know, we as we get older, we start joking about it, don't we? Yeah. Well, it's no joking matter to some folks, but but we all know that we we just don't remember things like we used to. But there are some things that we ought to never forget. We have no right to forget the sacrifice that men and women have made for our freedom. No right to forget our responsibilities. No right to forget our blessings. And the list goes on and on and on. And we think about all of those that have suffered and sacrificed and even died on a foreign battlefield. We're no better than a brute beast of the field if we forget about that. God help us to not forget the price that was paid for our freedom. Nearly every Memorial Day, this is where our thoughts are. Nearly every Memorial Day, I preach on Sunday a message that specifically is designed to commemorate the price that was paid by those that secured our freedom Today, however, I want to I want to talk to you about the thing that I think is probably on on our mind more than anything else, and that's heaven. Jesus said, "I go to prepare a place for you." Amen. Memorial Day is going to be a very difficult, painful thing for a lot of people. There are going to be those that are going to reflect back, and many of them will travel to the cemetery. I remember when I was a boy, and we back then they called it Decoration Day. I didn't understand what it was all about, but every year I knew that, you know, Mom would make up some 
some flyers and uh, out of crepe paper, I think it was, and the women would all make up those flyers and on Decoration Day to take them out to the to the cemetery, and we'd think about those that had those that had died. And many of you are going to be thinking about those that have gone on to be with the Lord. Just this past week, Ron Walters passed away. And Ron was the best man at Brother Dennis Hamlin's wedding. And where's Mark? Mark's in-law, father-in-law. And many of you, even as I'm talking, you've got names dancing around in your mind. Faces are coming into into focus. I mean, right now, I'm even as I'm speaking, I'm seeing the faces of different members of the church that have died and gone on, and, and and family members and friends that have gone on. And that's extremely difficult for a lot of people. And then there are other people, you know, during the time of Memorial Day, it's a time for them of great gladness and gratitude, as it ought to be. And with most people, you know, it's kind of a mixture of both. There's some sadness when we think about our loved ones that's no longer with us. But then there's that gladness and that joy and that gratitude of knowing that, you know, that they lived and they died being a blessing and that we have the hope of seeing them again. Jesus, as He is preparing these men to face the rigors of life without Him, reminds them of this one glorious fact that I am preparing a place for you. Heaven is a real place. So many times we think of it, you know, like it's a fairy tale, and I think maybe we leave the impression with the kids, you know, that it's just make-believe. It's like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, and, and a lot of times the kids get the impression that's what heaven is like, and sometimes we give them that impression, but maybe some of the silly things we say uh, you know, try, trying to encourage them, but yet, you know, we sometimes make silly remarks and say things that simply are not true, and uh, they finally come to the conclusion, well, it's not, not a real place. It's just a, a state of mind. I know heaven is a real place because something in my heart tells me that it is so. Amen. You see, for every instinct, of man and beast, God has provided a source of satisfaction. You think about the fact that God provides milk for the little baby, water for those that are thirsty. There's a warmer climate for the geese. And God has set heaven in our heart. And as a result of that, we can have the assurance that there's going to be some means of satisfaction. And all down through the centuries, people have believed in a better place. Their theology might be all mixed up. They might know nothing about the Bible, but something tells them that there's something more out there beyond the grave. 
the Indian, it might have been the happy hunting ground, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, but the point is that there is that yearning, that desire for something better than what we have here. Their hopes have been carved upon cavern walls. It has been set to music. It has been expressed in poems. And over and over again, we've tried to, tried to speak about that thing, whatever it is that we're longing for. And I've got to believe that if God put that yearning in our heart, that God has a source of satisfaction. But I'm glad we, that's not all we have to depend on. You know, just to say, well, something in my heart tells me that this is the way it is. That You know, that's good as far as it goes, but it didn't go far enough. I also know heaven is real because some saints have seen heaven. Paul did. He was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw things that was not lawful for a man to utter. I mean, can, can, can you imagine whatever it was that he saw, God sent him back and said, uh, you know, I don't want you to talk about it or anything. And, you know, that's strange to me that these people talk about they died and they went to heaven and they come back. They always end up writing a book and making money on it. I don't believe any of them. But I certainly believe that Paul was caught up into the third heaven because the Bible says so. And you see, that's our final authority. Whether or not you sense it in your heart, whether or not any of the saints ever went to heaven, John was at the very throne of God and described some things that he saw there, but whether or not any of those things are true, the fact of the matter is the Scripture declares the existence of heaven. That's all the evidence we need. The Bible tells us that it is real. We need to think much of heaven and we need to think much about heaven. I think a lot of times that inspiration is more helpful to us than instruction. And whenever I say that, I do not mean to belittle doctrine. I do not mean to in any way whatsoever slight the importance of instruction from the Word of God. We all need that. But let's face it, for those of you that have been saved any length of time and you've attended Sunday school and church and you've read your Bible, and you might not be a Bible scholar, but you know the basics, you know the fundamentals, you know what you ought to do, you know what you shouldn't do, you've got all of that down pat. That's not what you're really struggling with. What you're struggling with is the inspiration to give your best to a world that's trying to slit your throat. And we need that kind of inspiration. And the Lord knew that those men, as well as we today, that they needed to know that He has a place for them, a real place. Not only is it real, but it's remarkable. You know, being real is one thing. Being remarkable is another. Hell is real. The same Bible that talks about heaven also speaks about hell. Hell is a real place, whether you believe it or not. 
It is a real place. But there's certainly not anything good about hell. It's not anything that we should desire. So heaven is real, but it's also remarkable. It's remarkable because of its wonders. That is, because of its beauty. Now understand that beauty alone doesn't make a place wonderful. You know, that's great that it's a beautiful place. We think about the New Jerusalem, the street of gold, the gates of pearl, walls of jasper, the foundation of all of those twelve precious stones, and we think about all of those things that are described in the Bible, and yet the half has not been told. We don't know near as much as, as what we think we do. It's, but it's all a picture of, of, of beauty. But it's also remarkable, not just because of the beauty, because of the things that won't be there. I've been to several of the Civil War battlefields. And the landscape has been, in, in most of them, very beautiful places. Wilson Creek Battlefield up by our hometown where Bev and I were raised. Uh, all of the schools take a trip out there. Beautiful right there in the heart of the Ozarks. Those rolling hills, sparkling streams. Beautiful place. But it wasn't so beautiful whenever the water in Wilson Creek ran red with blood. I've been to Antietam and there walking over the, the property there and looking at the, the landscape and seeing the beauty of it, but it wasn't so beautiful when the bloodiest battle of the Civil War was fought there. You see, just because something's beautiful doesn't make it remarkable. Heaven's remarkable because of things that will not be there. And the Bible speaks about all of those things, the former things that will not be there. There will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, no, no, no more of any of these things that bring us such great sorrow. I often think about the prison at Eddyville, Kentucky, right there on the lake. I've stood just outside the prison wall and I've fished right there. And all of those fellows up there in that, in, in that prison... One of the most beautiful places in the world, I think, there in Kentucky. And they have, to, they have to look out of those prison walls on that beauty, and they see families picnicking down there. They see them water skiing out on the lake, and the bass fishermen out there fishing, and they see all of the things. And I've often thought, you know, no doubt they think all of that could have been mine, but here I am in these prison walls. Beautiful place but a miserable place. I'm telling you, heaven is going to be remarkable, not just because it's beautiful, but because of the things that won't be there, but also it's remarkable because of the things that will be there. There'll be relief from our troubles. Sounds good to me. Amen. There'll be rest from our toil, rewards for our labor, reunion with our loved ones, and we could just go on and on talking about all of the things that you know, that, that will be there that are blessings. But even more important than that, it's remarkable because of who will be there. All of the saints will be there.
Think about that. And we'll know even as we are known in that day, we won't need an introduction to Peter and James and John. We're going to know them and they're going to know us. And to think about being there with the saints of God. For some of you, that would be your mother and your daddy, your grandma and the grandpa, somebody that was dear to your heart. They've gone on to be with the Lord, and I've got news for you. You have an appointment, not just an appointment with death, but you have an appointment with a reunion with those dear loved ones that have gone on. That makes heaven remarkable to think not only about things that you know won't be there and the things that will be there, but to think about who will be there. And then to top it all off, the Savior will be there. It can't get any more remarkable than that, amen? I mean, heaven would be hell if all of the saints were there but no Jesus. It's the presence of Christ that makes heaven wonderful. The poet has tried to capture, you know, his likeness uh, with words. The songwriter set it to music in some way expressing his beauty. The artist has tried to depict his appearance on canvas, the sculpture in clay, and all of them fail. But John says in that day, we're, listen, we're not only going to be there with him, we're going to see him as he is. And then it keeps getting better because it says, and then we're going to be like him. First John chapter 3. We'll be with him. We'll see him as he is. And we're going to be like Him in that day. I don't know, but that sounds like something remarkable to me. And it's a real place. Not only is it remarkable, but it is a restful place. Well, there's no rest to be found in this world, is there? Not really. Not really. Even even if you take a vacation... A lot of Bev's worked about the last seven days in a row, and that's not a figure of speech. That's the literal truth. And so staycations are not as glorious as sometimes we think they're going to be. But that, And by the way, that's the way life is. Man, this born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. This world's a difficult place to live. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you have. I don't care what you're able to do. Please understand that it's going to take great effort for you to get through this old wicked world. But thank God there is a place of rest. In Revelation chapter number 14, verse 13 said, Blessed are the dead. Well, my, that sounds strange. We think blessed are the living, right? No, he said, Blessed are the dead. But not just anyone. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. You see, heaven is a place of rest, not because of inactivity. Oh, I know sometimes, you know, in trying to 
stir up emotions. We talk about the fact, oh, it's going to be so wonderful when we get to heaven. We're going to sit down by the river of life and just dip our feet in the water and sit there 10,000 years and just twiddle our thumbs and not do anything. No, the Bible says we're going to serve Him day and night forever. And yet the same Bible that says we're going to serve Him day and night forever also says that it's going to be a time of rest. That is, that we'll never grow weary in our labor. For the child of God, in the will of God, the most important thing in this world is to serve God. That's the most thrilling, most exciting thing in the world. Celebrities don't impress me. I wouldn't walk across the street to meet any Hollywood celebrity anywhere. I wouldn't walk across the street to uh, to get the autograph of any professional ball player. I don't care. It makes me no difference. It's not important to me. Of course, I'm the guy that, you know, went to Paris and wouldn't go in the Louvre. Oh, I don't care anything about that. I'd rather sit in my backyard and see a sunset than to see something that man scribbled on a piece of canvas. That just doesn't excite me. But I'll tell you what, when I think about heaven, it excites me. When I think about serving the Lord, that excites me. And why would that be something, you know, maybe you're sitting there thinking, boy, you're an odd duck. You're so unusual or no, listen, that ought to be the norm for every child of God. If you don't believe that, you read the rest of John chapter number 14. And about the manner in which we express our love for Him, and it's through obedience to Him. What I'm saying is, if you are a Sunday school teacher in the will of God, you love teaching Sunday school. If you're a music director, you love Directing music, you, whatever it is that you do, we love to serve the Lord. But let me tell you, while we don't grow weary of God's work, we grow weary in God's work. If you're really doing it and doing it with all of your heart, I'm telling you, it wears you out. But listen, here's the point. Think about being in heaven, that real remarkable place, doing what you love more than anything, which is serving God and never getting tired. I remember whenever I was a young preacher, and I I went one period there, three years averaging. I preached three times a day, not a week, three times a day, solid for three years. That's a lot of preaching, and uh, and, and I, I could do it. I and, and now I'm getting to the point. It's like uh, okay, I I can make it through Sunday morning, but I'm not too sure about Sunday night. And, and as we age, we it's that way for all of us. We can't do all of the things that we used to do, but in heaven. There will be no limitations on our service for God. And we'll never grow weary. Not only that, but heaven is a roomy place. You know, here on earth, just anybody can't live the lifestyle of the rich and famous. There are many people that are excluded 
from what we Americans think are the necessities of life. Oh, we are so spoiled in America. We think, you know, we've got to have this and we've got to have that. But I'll tell you, if you go down somewhere in Mexico where those people living in those little shanties and shacks down there and you go to other parts of the world when the little kids are out rummaging through the garbage bins trying to find any kind of morsel of food they can to survive on, and it sure changes your perspective on what is a necessity, you know, and what isn't a A lot of people are excluded from the blessings that we enjoy. But I want you to know there will be nobody excluded from heaven because there's a lack of room. Because there's room for all. You know, sometimes we think about the tribulation period. And it's going to, listen, it's going to be the most terrible, awful, horrible time on earth. Jesus said so. Seven years of tribulation. People will resort to cannibalism to survive. Food will be rationed. People will be desperate. It's far worse than anything that we can imagine. But listen. Out of that awful period of time is going to come the greatest harvest of souls ever in the history of the world. The worst thing will become the best thing. And I'm just going to tell you right now here flat out, I'm not worrying nearly so much about the election as I used to because... Whoever we put in there is who we're going to deserve, and whatever we get is what we deserve. And listen, it might be the worst thing, the worst thing in one way, but things won't get better until they get worse. We may have to go through a period of horrible suffering before things improve. But the point is, out of that horrible tribulation period, listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 7, 9, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb. Think about that. A great number, harvest of souls of people that have been saved from all kindred, all tribes, all tongues, people from all over the world. Let me tell you, there are places right now where people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before it's all over, they will. And there's plenty of room in heaven to accommodate all of them. There's room for you. Not only that, but heaven is a reserved place. I love the way Peter expressed it in First Peter chapter number 1, and he speaks about what the Lord did. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 
It's a place that is reserved for those that have received Christ. It is a prepared place for a prepared people. It is a reserved place for those that have been redeemed. And only those that have accepted Christ will be accepted by the Father. Ephesians 1 and verse 6 is wherein he says, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. God is saying, you receive my Son, and I'll receive you. And heaven becomes your home. You become, listen, a child of God, an heir of God, and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but there has to be a reservation. And you make that reservation for heaven by trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no other way to do it. Not only that, but heaven is a repository. By that I mean it's a place to where we lay up things. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on the earth. The very opposite of what most of us are guilty of, you know. And he says don't do that. But lay up, and notice the words he uses, for yourself. Somebody says, well, we shouldn't really be concerned with the rewards in heaven. Why not? Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. By the way, that's the only safe place. good friend of mine, Fred Pfluger, has some of his sons in the, in the all but I think one, maybe all of them in the ministry. And... Uh, I think I think Fred died some years ago, but he fought in Hitler's army. And uh, I believe he might have been the strongest man that I've ever met in my life. I'm talking about physical strength. It's unbelievable how strong that man was. But more than that, he's a man that loved the Lord, and he's like a bull in a china shop. And boy, we'd go out and knock on doors and witness, and he'd tear into those people. He didn't have any tack about him, but, you know, but boy, he was doing his best. And we, we talked about the fact of him fighting in Hitler's army, and he told me the story of how that when the Russians came in and they took literally everything they had, he and his parents had to leave home with just what they could carry to never return again. And you, you talk about losing it all. Just the other day, our neighbors, there was a lightning boat, Bob and Helen right across the street. The lightning hit, the house burned, all of their treasures, all gone. Let me tell you, there's only one safe place to lay up your treasures, and that's in heaven. That's why Jim Elliott, the famous missionary and martyr, don't ever forget that, a man who literally gave his life for Christ, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, our labor in the Lord is never in vain. And you can rest assured that He pays good wages and payday is coming. And listen, if we're going to be at our best, we best be thinking about 
heaven. The place that he has prepared for us. Somebody said, you know, you Christians said, you're of no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded, you're not of any earthly good. And somebody listening said, oh no, you got it wrong. You know, we get so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. And, and that's, that's the way it is. As we think about those that have gone before, whether it might be those who suffered and bled on a foreign battlefield somewhere, or it might be Grandma who passed away in her sleep. As we think about them, I want you to understand this Memorial Day that there is an appointment with death. Listen, you're going to die. You're dying right now. You put your hand on your heart and your heart's beating a death march to the grave right now. We don't know how much time we have left. And I hope and I pray that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you don't have the hope of heaven in your heart, I pray you'll settle that this morning. If you know somebody that doesn't have Christ as their Savior, take advantage of every opportunity to tell them about Christ. How awful it is to think about living and dying and going out into a Christless eternity. And it doesn't have to be that way for anyone because there's room for everyone. And whosoever will, Jesus said, whosoever will may come. And if you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I've been saved many years ago. There's nothing in this message for me. Let me just say, you need a revival. If if the thought of heaven doesn't stir your heart, I, I think about an old song from years ago that says, I'm homesick for heaven. I've got a longing to go. You know, if I got up here and I said, you know, I, I, I've got a longing to go. I just, I'm ready to go to heaven. I, I'd, I'd be happy if the Lord just take me home. In fact, I just, I want to go right now. And there'd be people, you know, say, well, that'd be horrible for you to say something like that. It'd be horrible for you to go off and die and leave, you know, your wife alone and It'd just be horrible to die. Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. He had a desire to go and to be with the Lord. Now, I'm saying that for a reason. I'm not saying that because, you know, I don't care anything about my wife and my family and this church. That's not the point. The point is sometimes we act like heaven is going to be a demotion. That we're going to, some way or another, we're going to, we're losers because we, because we die and go to heaven. And the fact of the matter is, there's absolutely nothing in all of the world that will be more wonderful. The best day of your life will be the last day on earth. That'll be the best day of your life if you know Jesus as your Savior.
Isn't it wonderful to put your head on the pillow at night and go to sleep, not knowing whether you're going to wake up or not, but knowing without any doubt that if you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let's all stand together. Father, how thankful we are for the blessed assurance that we have of knowing that our sins have been forgiven, knowing that we have a home in heaven, knowing regardless of how difficult it is here upon this earth that there's coming a better day, that we have a place prepared where we'll be free from all suffering, heartache, and pain, from all the disappointments of life. And I just pray this morning for each and every one here that has never received Christ as their Savior, that they would do so this morning. God, I pray that nobody walk out of this building without the assurance of salvation. And for those of us that have been saved, Lord, may we rejoice so greatly in our salvation that others can see the difference that Jesus makes, that they might have a desire that He be their Savior also, for we beg it in His name.